I was a kid, I laid awake at night and heard the sounds of trains. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I'd do different if I could. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. Like you? Who in the hell says I gotta like let go of this? How can I let go of this? It's who I am. It's all I know. I wish they froze me in a block of ice till it was my time when I was ready to make my move. Before I started doing this acting stuff, I was afraid to get up in front of me. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. Right now, what kind of theater does this country need? How about a theater with black and brown actors who had been convicted of serious crimes and had spent years in prison? Actors who want a chance in a society that has no time for them. Actors who ache for change. You know, that kind of a theater. For the last decade, Richard Holder has taught acting at Otisville State Prison and has formed a company of formerly incarcerated men studying the art of acting at HB Studio. Prison Monologues is a podcast that reveals the actor and his story. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. I am Alan Winson with my co-host on this Prison Monologues podcast, master acting teacher Richard Holder. Today we're talking with Omar Avaye. He is a visual artist with over 25 years experience in advertising, graphic, and editorial design. His other talents run from animation to digital illustration to photography, and I understand he does some toy design with Legos. Mr. Ovalle also is an expert in traditional Japanese martial arts and is a black belt in La Do. And he is a poet and member of Free Verse, an initiative with Neighborhood Opportunity Network. And one more, Omar is also a member of Richard Holler's Acting Out Workshop at HB Studios here in New York City. An important part of Omar's story is that for six months he was incarcerated at Rikers Island an experience that left him psychologically scarred. Welcome, Omar Ovalle. I have so many questions for you. Uh, having heard uh, about you from other um, actors that have been on this show, you were born in Via Vincencio, Via Vincencio, yeah, Colombia. Do yeah. you still have family there? Yeah, my father and my uh, second uh, older sister lives uh, still there. Uh, all my family is still there in Colombia. I'm yeah. the only crazy one that immigrated. When did you when did you immigrate to the United States? July 20, 1995. In 1995. What did you come here? Did you come directly to New York or were you someplace else? I came else directly first? to New York uh, with the goal of uh, stay for one year, save some money. Uh, I have an admission to study fine arts, uh, school of arts in Madrid, in Spain. I want to do a master's in sculpture. And one year turns into 25. And so you've been interested in sculpture and art your whole life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much uh, I've been drawing since uh, I have memory. My dad is an excellent illustrator. Uh, I remember he used to do my homework when I was a little kid. I hate drawing when I was a little kid. Oh. Uh, but somehow uh, I got the, you know, stuff drawing and all this stuff. Uh, you know, in my Back in my days, no internet, no video games. <laughs> so you have to get your hands busy. And I did that for a very long time. Eventually, I went to school. My first uh, year of college, I studied advertisement. 
and then uh, I, I finished uh, visual communication with the emphasis in graphic design right, right. Uh, in Colombia. Yeah. So let, I mean, let's talk a bit more about your uh, work as a visual artist. Uh, you okay. work in photography and um, in other areas, and you also design toys, I yeah. discovered recently. Um, so can we talk about that? You do Lego creatures. Yeah, I do kind of... Uh, the in, the thing with Lego, I, I didn't grow up with Lego like many people. I discovered Lego by accident 12 years ago when my ex-wife now got a little gift from her office, Lego, little Lego set for my son, who was uh, four at the time, I believe. And I was annoying a, a hell of the little pieces all over the place, you know, stepping on those things. It, it, it hurts like hell. <laughs> yes, it does. And, <laughs> so that was my first experience. And one day uh, at the time, oh, uh, I had been also practicing martial arts for a very long time, since I'm 12. In those days, I got a, a really bad injury that forced me to stop training. And I found myself in the... Uh, in the kitchen, uh, they're playing with those things, and I got so hooked up in those things, wow. like, and uh, I didn't stop. A uh, few years later, I ended in Denmark in a, uh, at the Lego company. They uh, sent me a, a round trip uh, ticket uh, for a three days interview. I didn't, I, I, I didn't get hired, but it was uh, uh, the top thing, like, you know. Uh, very quick because the internet people start writing articles about my work. Uh, I, you know, it was very radical in the things I was doing and mixing and experimenting. And that got the attention of Lego. And um, I still send them resumes from time to time. I hope one day I'll go back there. But my entrance with Lego was thanks to my son who became 18 just uh, uh, last week. So that's, that's how I walk into the and the thing with toy design involves all, all the skills. You know, you have to do photography, sketching, uh, concept design. You have to, uh, sometimes I, I do the, the custom uh, jackets by hand. Uh, you do any way possible to create a, a concept, starting uh, sometimes with, directly with a sculpture. Yeah, so it, it is a sculpture. A I mean, feel. It is a kind of a sculpture. It's a, it's a three-dimensional piece that you put together. And they, I mean, I know they're Legos. I've seen them. And maybe oh. you can tell us where we can look for them on, on the web. Yeah. But they are so intricate, and there's so many little pieces. And how long does it take well, you to put yeah. one of those figures together? Well, my, I, I work in a small scale because I, uh, uh, I'm working right now in the series of uh, 12 inches high. But uh, for moment, from concept to finish can be two, three weeks uh, working, like, you know, putting uh, four, six hours a day because it's a lot of try and error. But the thing with Lego is like, uh, is designed for kids uh, from five-year-old to 95-year-old. And you can do anything in between, sculptures, uh, you know, huge sets. FIT is very famous for having a, a Lego uh, faculty where they develop the uh, uh, Lego system with uh, um, electronic components and everything. Scientists have used it as well. It, 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 has, it has a huge round. It's not just, oh, it's just for kids. It yeah. covers a, a really big uh, uh, area and in many directions. 
great tool for kids with uh, autism. That's why I got also very focused in the team. I want to learn more because my kid, uh, he, he's a borderline uh, uh, autistic. And uh, a lot of studies right now that that little, something magical happened when you start playing with those little things. I'm thinking that that discussion could go on. It's almost like a Oh, different... no, we can, we can talk for years about I know. this. <laughs> exactly. We need to do a special podcast for, for Lego enthusiasts and, and, you, and Lego fans. You've and... given me an idea that we, I, I may, from one of my other podcasts, go, go in that direction. But you have other awesome. interests, um, uh, Omar. Uh, you mentioned that you were a, uh, an expert in martial arts in the Japanese martial art of Lado. Am I saying it right? Yaido. Yaido is Yaido. the, the yeah, Yaido is the uh, is one of the uh, Ken arts. Ken means sword in Japanese. And uh, it basically is the art of drawing the sword. I did practice that for the last 20 years. Uh, unfortunately, my teacher, my mentor, my friend, and the person who eventually became like a fire figure uh, for me died one year ago not directly from COVID, uh, he couldn't get an appointment to get his heart checked and he got a heart attack. Uh-huh. And sadly, one year ago, he passed away. His name was uh, Chief Grandmaster Rico Guy on uh, 14th Street and 6th Avenue. He has his dojo order. He was the oldest dojo in New York City for 45 years. He right. was there. When you learn that particular art, you learn you know, etiquette and how to dress, how to walk. Uh, uh, you get a lot of influence of the language. And, you know, it's a, it's a whole uh, form of life, uh, very traditional, very old. Yeah. Uh, younger people, uh, now it's co- coming back. In the last 20 years, it was this reboot of the traditional Japanese martial arts, Yaido, Kendo, um, you know, Ikebana, which is the flower arrangement, origami, uh, um, I'm a big fan of origami doing these paper folding figures. It's a whole planet. It's a yeah. whole different planet. That uh, okay? So that's 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 number two or three, right? Yeah. Of, of, of Podcast, all... Yeah, we can spend years and years talking about how a guy born in Colombia became a, a samurai. Yeah. Uh, I, still, I still, you see, I still having the the hair. The oh yeah, look at that. There you are. You got the little uh, uh, bow in uh, the back. Well, let's let's go on to another aspect. Of, right. of Omar Ovalle, and that is that you are a poet too. You're a member of Free Verse, which is a program with the Neighborhood Opportunity Network, uh-huh. which works with people who are on probation. Yes, um, and mostly, you... yeah, mostly, but and they are basically they do community workshops uh, opens to anyone. But the hardcore base is uh, at the DOP uh, in the Bronx. That's their home base which is amazing people, uh, uh, the director of the DOP in the Bronx and the probation officers over there, amazing. And they, these, these, when I discovered them, I started as an apprentice writer. I'm a visual person. I draw, I paint, I take pictures, but writing, it wasn't really my, my thing until four years ago that I started writing. And that became like a form of therapy for me as well. And when did you start writing poetry? 20, 2017, around that time. So recently, yeah. Yeah, recently, you know, uh, I, I ended involved because uh, uh, my connection with the, uh, with the DOP. Right. Uh, and um, that was, a, 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 they invited me. Uh, one day I went to the workshop, I wrote some poems and they said, hey, would you like to be an apprentice? Uh, we paid you uh, 
They played pretty well in the world. Really? Nice. Yeah, yeah. It was a hundred bucks a day for writing. I'm like, what? Like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> Boy, I'll, I'll, I'll write too. Um, but uh, maybe maybe you could uh, read for us one of your poems. That will be my pleasure. Uh, this is one of the early poems uh, I wrote uh, with them. It's a very short poem uh, that describes uh, how broken is our criminal justice system. And um, it's titled Ghost. A man without integrity is a dead man walking around waiting to be placed six feet underground. A man without humanity is a beast waiting to be consumed by fire unless his ashes is carried by the wind. A man convicted of a crime he didn't commit is a ghost in a shell, hoping somehow to recover one day his faith in humanity again. I wrote it that three years Lovely. ago. And it's, uh, it's the last point in the last uh, year I spent um, uh, my boss, uh, Mr. Dave Johnson, which is the director of Freebirds, uh, facilitated to me a um, PhD candidate, this lady that helped me to, uh, for two months, uh, having meetings and putting together all the poems. And I, I just finished it, uh, a book of poems and photography uh, that... Uh, compiled the poems for the last four years. But I didn't want, you know, a lot of my poetry because at the time I was suffering from severe depression and anxiety. Uh, I was really angry that I got caught uh, in the criminal justice system. I didn't have a lawyer. I had to, you know, get a, a, a lawyer assigned by, by the system. And my life was completely trash. And, um, writing a lot of those poems are very heavy uh, i'm venting a lot of, so i decided not to go in that direction i decided to write uh, these poems that somebody that inspired me uh, this person and most of them are uh, about love yeah. love poems and photography and uh, the book is titled uh, notes from far away uh, how uh, for, how poetry saved my life uh, for a journey by omar Valley. so uh, this poem that I just wrote to you is the last poem in that book. Uh, the next page is just the dedications to a ton of people that helped me to overcome this uh, difficult last uh, four years. It's extremely difficult for okay. me. That, uh, so, so as you, as you've been like um, uh, indicating here, and I think maybe now would be a good time to talk about the experience. At one point in your life, you were arrested and you spent a six months, half a year at Rikers Island. Richard tells me that though this was not a long time in prison for some of the uh, formerly incarcerated that we've been talking to on this program, it was a devastating period for you and that affected you deeply. And I'd like to talk yeah. about that now. And it sounds like it was part, this poem that you read really is emanates from that experience. Yeah, it, it, that, that was... Uh, uh... When I start discovering through poetry, I can channel uh, the experiences and the frustration. And you're right. Um, through my experience, I had the opportunity to meet uh, a lot of uh, formerly incarcerated people. That every time I hear, uh, I just get, get out of doing 20 years or 25 or 30, yeah. my heart got crotch. I, like, I, I, I feel like I'm sure of, you know, like, oh my God, oh my God. 
So yeah, uh, six months in, in jail is nothing. But for a person like me that never been in jail, and in the circumstances I ended over there, it's a miracle that I'm, I'm here. Uh, yeah. it, it was completely, uh, in a matter of fact, after I was released, uh, I was suffering from uh, severe um, sleep deprivation. Of course, uh, I want to kill myself uh, uh, because I took a plea. In order to go home, I had to plead guilty of, of the crime I didn't commit. And that was even harder than I thought. I ended in Bellevue Hospital for uh, almost a month. And uh, the first 10 days, I slept like I never slept before. The sleep deprivation was killing me. I was going all suicidal. Um, and thanks God that the case manager uh, that took me in Brooklyn, he was a very sensitive person. And he said, oh, my God, you need help. Because he saw me. I, I, and on top of that, my physical, you know, the physical, mental, and spiritual, it was completely destroyed. My kidneys were falling apart. So I was in terrible pain. Uh, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was dying. Literally, I was dying every single day. It was horrible. And they took me over there. Uh, the protocol is awful when they call uh, you to take you to Bellevue because you're suicidal. Uh, the first thing I saw over my shoulder was four police officers with their hands right there in the gun. I'm like, what the? I said, oh, you know, don't worry, this is the protocol. But I, I went over there and I they gave me medication, they helped me to reboot. And later on, a few months later, I discovered that poetry was the best medicine ever to yeah. recycle and rebuild uh, my life. Right. Actually, I understand that it probably is difficult to go back and describe what that experience was to be at Rikers Island. It sounds, I mean, it's one thing being incarcerated in jail if you've done something awful right and you're like you're you're paying a price and there's some kind of morality to it but it as you say it must be maddening literally maddening to be in that situation when you haven't when you're wrongly accused that that's the that's the heavy part and unfortunately uh, that cost me everything my family my job uh, my uh, my wife uh, filed for divorce thanks god that uh, my teacher uh, his wife, my family, I got all the support from my, uh, I have uh, three sisters. Uh, my family never took out the support from me. They, they, they knew that, uh, that I was innocent. Uh, and that was uh, also very important because a lot of people just, they, everybody disappeared. They have nobody but their, their jailmates, their inmates. They, they have nobody else in life. So it, it's, it's, uh, like you say, yeah, uh, in some point you realize, okay, I screw up, uh, I commit a crime, whatever, you pay the consequences. But when it's the reverse, is this every single day opening your eyes and having to deal with that. In a matter of fact, uh, along with poetry, I discovered that therapy also helped me a lot. Uh, um, I was lucky to find a very good therapist. I still in contact with him. I, I do therapy twice a week. And uh, he referred me, he also noticed that uh, my six months in the island triggered uh, uh, a, a very heavy uh, PTSD. I was going to ask you about Marine that. as well. So I didn't notice that I had PTSD also from back. I, I, I went to the Marines when I was a little kid. This guy I never saw combat, but the way the Marines train is like, you know, you're ready for, you know, uh, any time. So you were, in, has, you were in the U.S. Marines. 
uh, Colombian Marines. Colombian is, Marines. It's oh. a small version, but it's, uh, it's as hellish as uh, being a, anywhere in combat. Wow. And so I discovered that all these uh, past situations were piling up. And um, poetry, therapy, uh, good people, and getting inspired by, by the brothers that have been there for decades. That was like, oh my God, oh my God. So one beautiful thing is that also walked me into the arts is when I was uh, at the Bronx, I lived in a shelter for a year where 90% of the population is in parole. I got the opportunity to teach art to the, to the residents. And that was that walked me into Freeverse and doing the community uh, events and getting connected with these, uh, I call them the invisible people, you know, people that have uh, been incarcerated. I call them invisible. Uh, I wrote a poem about, about the situation also that, and also became so aware firsthand on how broken is our criminal justice system. So can, can, yeah, can we talk a bit about, I mean, I... I I, I get the sense I don't want to go back to that experience at Rikers, but you've been there and we've been talking about the government about closing it down. Mm-hmm. Do you think it should be closed down? Definitely, yes. Definitely. Uh, uh, I, it was this famous uh, lawyer, uh, he was a DA. He was the one who said that place violates the human rights. That place is a shithole. He, he called it like that. Uh, uh, and, and, it, and it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's a piece of hell in, in, on earth that uh, it should not be there. It, it should not, uh, if, in the matter of fact, they describe Rikers as the place where poor people have to wait to be in trial. Uh, in the matter of fact, if, have, if I haven't taken the plea, I probably will still sit in Rikers waiting for trial. Because you have to wait anywhere between three to four years to go to trial. If you say, hell no, I didn't commit the crime, I'm going to fight. You sit there wow. and wait. Wow. Wow. And probably will be dead. Uh, I was so sick, uh, you know, mentally, physically. I was, yeah. uh, in the matter of fact, uh, <laughs> in those six months, I was in and out of the hospital so many times. because I was falling apart. Uh, it, it was just, uh, I don't know how I survived that, but the grace of God, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I survived that, that thing. The place is, is dirty. Is, uh, uh, I developed uh, infection in my, uh, I forget the name of this bacteria. It's a flesh-eating bacteria. I got it in my, I ended in Bellevue and they have in to your, cut in your mouth. In, in, inside your mouth. Yeah. In, in, no, inside, outside. Outside and your mouth to, on your uh, cheek. Yeah. MRSA. Uh, a MRSA. MRSA. I developed MRSA in my face and they cut me, no anesthesia, nothing. They cut me open and drain the whole shit out uh, right away. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it was crazy. It, it's just like, I don't know how people, and the scary part is when you start talking with people, like, how long have you been here? Three years. Even people had been there for four and five years. Like, what? And you were yeah. there for six months. I was there and for that, six And that was months. a lifetime. And I thought I will never get out of that crazy right. place. And it it felt like a, a lifetime. Now, I was two hundred. I was two hundred forty pounds when I went to Rikers. I lost eighty pounds when I get out. And just two years ago, about two years ago, I stopped uh, losing weight because the the whole thing, I I was set up. I didn't know that I I pushed the self destruction button. 
I was losing weight after I was released. I was losing weight like a five pounds a month. So mm. I was getting in bones until finally uh, I was able to reset the bottle, regain a normal life. But, right. uh, now you've, this, you've you've said Omar that um, that poetry saved you, your art saved you, your drawing. But another aspect of your life that you took up after you were incarcerated there was acting too. Had you ever acted before? No, well, uh, I guess the closest thing to acting is, is is martial arts because you know the you have to in in all the time they have what they call katas forms where you have to move in certain direction and have a particular posture. But I've always been into uh, intrigued by what is behind the elements that make a, a good actor, you know, and what is the elements that uh, why. It, Tom Cruise sucks so much, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Why, uh, you know, uh, all the, you know, Clint Eastwood has the same fucking face in every movie, you know. Right. And why so many great actors or, or directors, Jean-Luc Besson, uh, Willie Scott, uh, what is my... Why Alan you... Parker. Alan Parker right. is one right. of the, my, my favorite all-timers. Omar, who do you consider to be a good actor? You. You're well, okay, right. all right, but I mean, but somebody who's you know uh, that you've seen. No, Bruce I mean, Willis. I was trying to remember. <laughs> Thank you, though. The same for cafe. Great <laughs> actor, uh, the gentleman who uh, who did Batman and he killed himself. He was awesome. Uh, I, I keep always forgetting his name. He did Batman. Um, he died here in New York City. Oh, 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 Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Yeah. Excellent choice. How did you meet Richard, Omar? Through, through my boss, uh, through Freeverse director, uh, Dave Johnson, he emailed me the information. I emailed Rich. He called me. Uh, he invited me to hang out with them on Sundays. And it seems like I, I know Rich for a very long time. <laughs> That's what's I know. Yeah, we, yeah. He like, uh, because he, he, he does an amazing job, um, you know, uh, especially for this group of this uh, target group he has chosen. It's people that uh, you know, like you say in the beginning of the interview, six months is nothing. Ah, oh, you you are boosty. You this nothing. Talk to somebody has been locked up for twenty five, and your heart goes away. Thirty, right forty. There. We got we got one guy with forty years. That's there right. you go. So I I I I will have the opportunity. I don't have it with me right now. A point that inspire me. Uh, they ins- give me so much inspiration. One of the things when you get involved with criminal justice system is they send you to an alcohol and drug program, and then you start seeing all these uh, people, this population. And they ask, well, how long have you been clean? I said, 30 years. And what the hell are you doing here? Oh, because the court sent me. I just get out. I just came home. They said, I just came home. Uh, 15, 20, 30 years. i like, you know, my heart always gets... Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like I was the only guy in probation because everybody is in parole. When oh, what was your how long you? Oh no, I'm in, in, in probation. Oh, you you easy. Oh, you nothing. Oh, you nobody. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're all we're all different, and we all react in different ways. But all those reactions are real. I'm curious yeah. about you two, Richard and Omar, talking about. Is there any link between martial arts and acting? I would have to take a pass on that one. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like what, what, he, well, what Omar was saying before about certain posturing and things like that, there are some kind of physical things, you know, in acting, obviously, because you're using your body. Your body is your instrument. But <clears throat> most of the work that I do with them, because I guess for this past year, we've been sitting in a little tiny box 
and the acting that I'm teaching everybody is from the chest up, you know, so we don't really use our bodies as much, but I would suspect, you know, when we are in a real space and we're using that there, there are some correlations there, but uh, I, I've been finding lately that it's, it's, it's weird how they're just focusing on the eyes and the face, you know what I mean? Because that's what we've got to, to work with. Right but now. martial arts must be more than just form physical forms. There's got to be it's, some inner it's, growth it's, that's going on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very complex. But one of the things that caught my attention last year when uh, I started taking the classes, and like we said, they focus on the chest up, and their CSI was not to blink, <laughs> which is extremely difficult. Interesting enough, when you learn how to draw a, a sword, a katana in Japanese, my teacher... Uh, he was the only person teaching in your city with real blades, real katanas that's sharp as hell. Wow. And one of the emphasis they do is don't no blinking. Because huh. if you blink, that's all it takes for you to lose your head. That's how fast they move, how deadly is they are. But like, you know, it's, it's more than combat, it's more than a weapon. It's a lifestyle, it's, uh, it's breathing, it's uh, your posture, how you dress, how you walk. They can tell everything. And uh, in the matter of fact, in the tradition of the Japanese um, and in many other Asian traditions, when you sit to have tea with somebody, they can read your personality. Okay, How, let's, yeah, let's talk. Yeah, go on, go on. Because I want to talk about the personality because Rich, I mean, I've been talking with Rich now about his approach and his approach is that you, you don't become a character, you, you become yourself more and more. Mm -hmm. Uh, the way I understand it, and I, I'm wondering if there is a parallel there in, in martial arts, in becoming who you are, in discovering, discovering yourself. Uh, you and 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 my teacher used to say, uh, we all have to deal with our own demons, meaning the the journey is inwards. So you discover your center, you discover uh, your balance. In the turmoil of madness, you stay calm and composed. You don't go, ah. No, you, you, you know, because that's what it takes. Doesn't mean your heart doesn't, you're not pumping blood like, you know, your adrenaline is kicking, but you keep that in control. And that connection of breathing, uh, posture, uh, no blinking, uh, no becoming somebody else, knowing yourself and, uh, and taking things, you know, with a grain of salt and all those elements, it can, it can gravitate. It, it, it is, uh, and as uh, you take the classes and that happened to me, um, you know, you don't, you don't uh, see any more the movies as, as to you, you, you're going beyond that, the character, the lines. Uh, always taking notes now since I started. Uh, oh, this is a great line. I, this is beautiful uh, uh, in the way they said it. 10 seconds where they got, you, they got your attention in a sentence, in a phrase. You forget about the entire movie, but except those 10 seconds where you felt the character, you felt the person was communicating beyond the celluloid, beyond the screen. And, and I guess that's the power of, of, of art. You know, that's when we say, oh, that was great acting. And you, a regular person like me, you, you cannot describe it in words, why it's such great, because you felt the person, you, you felt the, the even when they're not saying anything, which is the greatest actors ever, with just the, 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 a little bit of the winking in their eyes and this, oh shit, he's sad or he's in pain or he got that somebody was lying to him. Those subtle elements are the ones that great, make a great performance. And yeah. I guess uh, you make a, back in the days, I'm talking about martial arts that 
you didn't know if you were coming back home that day. You know, you put your blade, your armor, your shit, and you go and fight. You don't know if you're coming back. So you want to make sure you're coming back. And and uh, when you bring all those elements into modern life, uh, you know, I cannot walk around with a katana. The police is going to shoot me. Let's uh, hear something that you're working on with Rich. Uh, at this point, you're at the HB Studios, but you're online. So you haven't really, you two have, have ever gotten together? Have you ever been... No, we've never met in person. Um, we've met online, you know, doing this thing. And I, I was going to say before what he was talking about too, was that, that, you know, working in this medium for the past year, it's more like teaching acting for film than acting for stage. Because the difference is that on stage acting, you go out to the audience and in film, the audience comes into you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like what you were describing before, Omar, about like when you saw people and you could feel what you're feeling, what they're feeling because they're letting you inside. You know what I mean? And we do a lot of that. And I, it's going to be interesting to me when we do get back on stage, that technique that we've been teaching for, you know, how is that going to play on stage? I'm going to be suddenly like, all right, there's, there's a lot of people in this room. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so uh, we're going to have to like sort of do a little reverse stuff. But anyway, the piece that, that uh, I've got everybody working right now on these mini, mini monologues, they're just little excerpts of an excerpt from a monologue because our next show kid stuff which is going to be going up in july is really basically all monologue material so i wanted everybody to start wetting their teeth you know on this the monologue and and getting it where we call where it's inevitable so this is the we're at the very beginning stages of this and th this piece that chose for omar is, is about a, a man young man who is what some of the things you were talking about before omar about about not being able to afford a lawyer or having to wait because you know the rikers is a place for poor people waiting for trial this is a guy who always feels like he has not you know he doesn't have enough of an education he doesn't have enough money but but it, and is really resentful of the people that seem to want to keep him there so that's this is from uh, clifford odette's play waiting for lefty and it's from a scene called The Young Hack and His Girl. I don't have words to tell you how I feel. I never finished school. But it is relative, like the professors say. We work at like hell to send him to college. My cute brother Sam, I mean, and look what he had done, joined the Navy. The damn fool don't see the cars is stacked for all of us. The money man dealing himself a hot royal flush, then giving you and me a funny hand, like a pair of tents or something. Okay, good, good. So we're just getting to go on that. Yeah. yeah. And what, <laughs> what direction would you give Rich now, having seen uh, Omar do that? I'll put you on the, on the line here. What, what, does yeah, he what, need, what does he need to work on? Well, I mean, he's, he's certainly got, you know, he's really talking to me. So that's, that's the first step. You know what I mean? But what, what, what we would be, what we would talk about would be, first of all, who is, you know, th th this is a scene, even though he doesn't mention it yet, but this is a scene where he's breaking up with his, his girlfriend or his fiance actually, because he can't afford uh, to, uh, you know, have a life with her and and these this money man that he keeps talking about is the person that's preventing that so i would you know urge him to sort of you know in his life to think of the of the figures and the people that he feels have caused you know have held him back or caused him pain you know what i mean and, and to have the opportunity to actually speak to them do you know what i mean and to be able to you know without fear of being you know like, like, you know, like in the, you were talking about the criminal justice system, you just have to keep your mouth shut or else it gets worse. Do you know what I mean? But like here, you're able to actually 
go up and say what you said that our criminal justice system is broken and what you're saying is our our, our financial system is broken our, our our society is broken because so beyond many beyond repair that's the whole right, place. right. Uh, it's broken yeah. beyond repair okay and, and it's strange enough so i would encourage him to hook into that because he's obviously very passionate about that so hook that into this monologue as well. so omar there you go you've, you've got your next lesson there Oh yeah, that, that no, you uh, that yeah. you got you got a, you got an extra lesson from Richard Holler. I, that's why when you came, I was like, oh, finally I got rich by myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got into the habit. Uh, I was studying with my teacher, but eventually, become, before I became a black belt, I had the opportunity to teach, and the classes were very small. I used to teach two or three people, and especially when you have a real blade, you don't want to have too many people around because <laughs> that's not, real. not me. Okay. I'm leaving Makes the room. Sense. Thank you very much, Omar Avaye, for visiting us here on Prison Monologues. It was great meeting you. We, we, we never um, record the video of this, but you're so expressive with your hands and, and your face. It's like, I wish we had the video of, of, of this. But we have your voice, and so it was really a pleasure to meet you, and I'm looking forward to seeing a full performance from you on the next Acting Out um, uh, presentation. And one more time, Richard, uh, when do you think that'll be? Uh, we're looking at, uh, we don't have the exact date set, but we're looking at mid-July, mid to late July, uh, uh, to probably two weekends. We'll probably do four performances. Uh, the show is called Kid Stuff. It's currently being written right now, and it's all original stories from the childhoods of all the company members of Acting Out. Okay. Interwoven. And if you're listening to this program, you need more information about uh, Richard Holder's uh, acting class, you certainly can get in touch with him. I guess you can go through the prison monologues at gmail.com right. uh, to get yes, in touch with or, Richard or myself, or, yeah. Alan Winson. Yeah. Um, and let us know what you think about our, our podcast. Omar, thank you so much for, well, thank you for so joining much. us. It's my pleasure, and uh, it will be great to see you again, meet you again. And right now, I'll give it a shot to the video part for the next uh, postcard. Yeah. <laughs> where you can be done there. Well, I'm not a video guy, I'm an audio guy. So, yeah. Well, you know, you just you find a video person that's yeah. going to. Uh, okay, all right. Everything yeah. is possible nowadays. <laughs> it, it, it sure is. Thanks yeah. again. All right, thank, thank you, you so Richard. much. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Omar. Okay, thanks.